Okay, so hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Default Global. This is where we connect with global first entrepreneurs and remote work experts from all around the world. Our guest today is Losali Martinez, a senior talent acquisition partner at Cinder and founder of First Green Lab. First Gen Lab. <laughs> Sorry about that. So, Losali, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me uh, to the show. Yeah, uh, it, 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 in fact, it's fantastic to have you on the Default Global podcast. And before we dive into global hiring and workplace equity, could you maybe please share a bit about your career journey? Yes, absolutely. So I actually jumped into HR quite a long time ago, back in 2015, uh, is when I first started working alongside specifically um, business owners and entrepreneurs to help them like basically scale up their businesses. Uh, I did that as a chain of all trades for quite some time. Um, and that's where I met the CEO of Code Signal, who um, eventually wanted to sign me on full time. I had partnered with him to be his um, executive assistant. Um, and while, you know, I helped him a lot with, you know, research and all that kind of jazz, um, we were doing a lot of hiring and a lot of growth. And that is where I got a lot of my major foundation for data-based um, decision-making and skill-based hiring um, and really just kind of making sure um, that there is some structure in what we're doing so that we can learn from the process each time. Uh, so after CodeSignal, um, actually no, at CodeSignal, I built up the entire recruiting team. <laughs> uh -huh. I don't want to cut myself short there. I built up the entire recruiting team and eventually was promoted to a spot on there, managing their candidate experience. Um, and eventually we were affected, you know, by the tech layoffs. Um, and I found a new position at Compliant where I was the sole recruiter there. I was one half of the entire people team. So I managed a whole lot of the talent side of things. Um, so everything from training hiring managers on how to be unbiased and, and basically just learn how to interview to also how to assess candidates properly, um, as well as even building out onboarding programs, uh, all, all kinds of things. But um, I implemented a greenhouse uh, multiple times throughout my career. So I did that there. Um, had a lot of fun, had a lot of fun. That company, unfortunately, did not make it to Series A um, and went under. Uh, and so now I find myself at Cindio. Uh, Cindio is a workplace equity platform uh, that's currently aiming to basically just remove any disparities that may be in regards to race, gender, ethnicity, um, and pay um, within organizations and, and really kind of resolve those um, up front. Uh, and so I joined um, on a short contract basis, helping my friend Whitney out uh, in recruiting uh, quite a few different roles there. Um, I'm partnering with her, so I get to manage the entire full desk of my roles, which is fantastic, just the way I like it, pretty much. Um, but basically, I get to really work directly with those hiring managers to figure out what their pain points are and keep evaluating the process and iterating, making changes to ensure that they're finding the talent they really, really need. Sounds good. So you have successfully built and scaled recruiting functions for like, a, yeah, like you mentioned, for a number of companies, including called Signal uh, and Cindia. So how how has your approach evolved over the years, especially when we're talking about like different kinds of people in various verticals and domains? Can you talk more about that? Um, 
So maybe maybe any key lessons or shifts in strategy that you have found particularly like impactful. One of the most important things in recruiting I've noticed is to really kind of use um, user-centered design when it comes to recruiting. So that means focus on first the first user, which is the hiring manager. That is one of your you know clients, pretty much. So really kind of understand their pain points, ask all the questions, really figure out what happened, why was there turnover, so that you can figure out how to avoid that the next time around. Because um, it's not just a list of what is this person going to do, um, but it's also what do they need to show you during the interview that will tell you that they'll be able to do those things. Um, and for different roles it's different things. So for, um, for, for coding, um, and it depends obviously for different levels, but if you're hiring for entry level um, coding, it's fantastic to use assessments up front because it actually like eliminates a whole lot of the legwork when it comes to high volume recruiting. Um, I find that um, that way you can really suss out the people that have the skills required for your role. That's the first side of it. But then you can't necessarily include that kind of evaluation up front for every role. Like when it's a senior level role or even above mid-level, you really want to be able to finesse that process a little bit more. Make sure that you talk to the people um, and, and really get to know them and ensure that it's going to be a good fit um, before having them sign on to maybe say a technical interview or even a take-home exercise. Um, now... That's the one thing that I really do like to do across all of my roles. Um, there's some roles where it's just simply not necessary because it's entry level. All we really need is a display in other areas. Um, but I think that just having some kind of evaluation of skills is helpful so the team knows where they need to go from. Um, but some teams just don't, don't want to do that. And that's fair. That's totally fair. If the team doesn't want to do that, then we have to make sure that we're assessing throughout the interview process using a structured interview method, which means listing out those questions in advance, following those questions regularly, um, you know, being consistent with them in every single interview, um, and then editing them based on the changes that are needed after every round. Mm -hmm. So basically an iterative process, always mm -hmm. ready to change, learn, and develop. Um, I think that's the main thing that I've, I've learned throughout my career is that it's important to evolve the process, be flexible with the process, mm -hmm. um, but also coach your team on mm -hmm. the reasons why certain things are necessary because you're trying to avoid them making some mistakes. So sometimes you do need to push back. Yeah. And given your passion for fostering cross-cultural communication, how do you believe it helps in terms of like a, uh, operational growth within like a multinational and maybe global organizations? Can you share maybe an example from your experience where effective cross-cultural communication made, uh, you know, really cool impact? Well, at CodeSignal, we did global hiring, and currently at Cindy, we're also doing global hiring. But at CodeSignal, um, and, and also at Cindy, actually, they're a, a remote first. So what that means is that they are hiring around certain hub cities just to be able to grow in a responsible way and be able to even provide more opportunities for cross-effective, you know, uh, team gatherings and stuff like that. Um, so with those organizations, one of the most important things that I feel um, has been important when it comes to cross-cultural communication is just getting clarification. Like, can you repeat that again or say it a different way? Um, I want to make sure that I, I understand what you're actually saying. Um, and sometimes even rephrasing my question a million times, just until I like really get what I'm trying to understand, um, really get to the nitty gritty of the situation. 
um, I think that's what's really, really important is that kind of level of, of curiosity um, when it comes to other cultures and that openness to kind of say, I don't know, please tell me a little bit more. So um, at Code Signal, we hired in Armenia, as well as in the United States, in Russia, um, Germany, Switzerland, it was all over the world. Um, and so as the main person that was actually in charge of a lot of the candidate communication, one of the main concerns is using straightforward language when it comes to cross-cultural cross, um, communication, really using straightforward language. Um, use, be concise, make it short, make it sweet, um, and be clear. Um, and that fosters interest, I would say, across many different countries and many different verticals. Um, if you're able to cater to a lot of different audiences in your messaging, then that's then that's kind of like the goal. I personally am, you know, a first gen person. Um, I first came to the United States, you know, when I was four years old. Um, I am technically a citizen, but I did not um, come here until I was, you know, um, after I'd already learned Spanish is my first language. Um, and so sometimes there are sayings, even in English, that I just simply don't get. So I've always had to ask um, about what it means. And that's also taught me a lot about the kind of people that you know I'm dealing with and communicating with, because uh, I've noticed that when it comes to especially cross-cultural communication, curiosity is okay. It's one of those main things that's expected. It's one of those things that should be welcomed and questions are important in understanding and developing relationships. Um, it's also what puts you on the map as an organization as well is those little small interactions because they build, um, it's, it's a domino effect. Mm -hmm. and, and, and speaking about this first gen talent, right? So I, I also know that you're a founder at first gen lab, right? Mm -hmm. This unique venture focusing on, uh, as far as in this empowering first gen talent. So can you tell us more about this initiative? Uh, what exactly are you doing with, with this with this in this organization? So with First Gen Lab, we're beyond an advisory lab. The idea is that we are basically an ally in all the unique challenges of navigating the corporate and startup world for the first time. I've done it now multiple times. Um, it's I, as somebody that grew up in the advent of the digital age, I've helped a lot of organizations digitize themselves and modernize and bring in technology to really supercharge their work. Um, and that has given me unique insights into all the challenges that especially um, first generation founders um, deal with. So uh, that's what I'm trying to, I guess, do with First Gen Lab is be able to not only provide, you know, professional development and growth to any first generation individual, but also to businesses um, that have no idea what they're doing and kind of just give them a little bit of information. And a lot of it is, is, is like, you know, it's free up front. The idea is these are just guidelines. These are best practices that have very much worked for me over and over and over again. Um, it's data based. Uh, and here it is. Uh, my goal overall is to just basically be able to offer my, my services, my expertise, because I've realized that there is a unique knowledge that I do bring having done this quite a few times now. <laughs> That's That sounds really interesting. Uh, but l let's go back to Cindio, right? Cindio's pay 
equity software, as far as understood, helps companies quickly analyze and resolve pay gaps. That's that's from my understanding, right? So could you could you maybe walk us through how this software really works and how it assists companies in making ongoing compensation decisions? Well, Cydio basically, it's got three products on the platform and there's more features that are being developed every single day. But under under the platform of Cydio, there's PayEQ, OpEQ, and PayFinder. Um, PayEQ is that original analytics workspace um, where companies that have more than a thousand employees because we need a significant amount of data, um, give us that information and we can then help them uh, with our software flag those disparities that they can then look into and amend. Um, then there's also OpEQ. That's that helps you diagnose exactly where those potential inequities might be coming from um, in relation to, say, maybe your policies or the opportunities available within the organization. And then the last one is PayFinder. That one's given to, say, recruiters or hiring managers, anyone that is enabled to make offers so that they're preventing inequities happening up front because it's usually in that negotiation phase where those inequities happen because not everyone is actually coached in negotiating one of the other things that I'm trying to help people within First Gen Lab is like really give them the tools to stand up for themselves and handle themselves in these different environments because many people of a lot of different backgrounds are disadvantaged and not having that training growing up or having that environment um, around them. Um, people like myself may have been going through, uh, like I actually became a professional around the same time that my mother did. So we were navigating it together almost as peers despite the age difference. Uh, Cindy was, is getting kind of attention worldwide with jobs in Netherlands, right, and in the UK, or obviously in the US. So I'm curious to know how how you choose the best places around the world for different jobs. How does your your company determine like which roles are filled in specific countries? Can you talk more about this? Yeah, the people is um, the team. The people team is very very strategic, and they try to be extremely careful. Uh, especially now with their growth. So while Cindio did have um, some funding, now they're trying to really just open new positions based on revenue goals. So in line with that, we've shifted from being fully remote to being um, remote first, which means we're building around talent hub cities, specifically where we already have talent. So that's one part of the uh, talent strategy to be able to you know make things more cost effective. Um, the second thing is also based on where we have more client need, right? So if we already have a bunch of teammates on the West Coast, then it probably makes sense to fill roles in New York or even, you know, Europe. Um, so as I mentioned, we already have folks in the Netherlands and the UK, which is why specifically we are now growing in those two locations, as well as some of the major cities here in the United States, which are San Francisco, New York, and um, what's the last one? San Francisco, New York, and Seattle. And uh, I just need to ask this, what is your approach to compensation for global distributed teams? Do you use your own software, you know, like it to clarify this part? At Cindio, um, they don't, they cannot use their own software because there's just not enough. Yeah. There's, there's not enough, enough employees to do mm -hmm. that. However, there is kind of like their own version of this on a small scale that's done, you know, via Excel sheets and mathematical equations, uh, as well as, you know, actual market research on other organizations that are our size um, and also in our funding stage. So mm -hmm. that's basically how compensation is typically um, done through like real careful compensation analysis um, and also 
taking a look at the people that are currently on the team and making sure that we're not creating any inequities by evaluating that as well. And as mm -hmm. I said, we can't really use our software, but we're using it on a small scale with yeah. um, Excel spreadsheets. Um, mm -hmm. And not only that, our salaries go are basically whatever the rate is going to be in the U.S. is also the same rate um, mm -hmm. across the world. It's just, you know, translated to that currency. Okay. Okay. Awesome. In regarding like talent acquisition tactics, uh, how do you acquire talent in various countries? Do, do you collaborate with local recruitment agencies or you utilize like a local job boards or you have some, some other like uh, approach to this? I have largely used LinkedIn and also then smaller job boards. So more niche job boards. So doing the research with like the actual people. So when I had to recruit in Armenia, speaking to the Armenian folks and asking them, hey, what are, what are the best job boards that everyone's getting the jobs at? Okay, let's buy a couple ads for the roles that we're trying to hire there. Um, same thing for like Russia and whatnot. And I would ask my teammates that are actually in those countries because there's a paywall here to, to make the, those, uh, to, to put those up for me. Um, and we'd be able to, to, you know, track those back to my, to my recruiting dashboard and I'd be able to track those candidates and be able to chat with them. Um, currently at Cindio, I use LinkedIn a lot. I source via LinkedIn. Uh, a lot of folks in the UK and even in the Netherlands do use LinkedIn, um, with their, you know, with their skills and whatnot. So that's one of the best ways, I think, in my opinion, is to be able to also do a Boolean search and, and find the individuals mm -hmm. that you're looking for mm -hmm. and, and target them based on the skill level that you're looking for, or even sometimes it's different titles, but you know, there's a couple of different routes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And speaking about LinkedIn, in one of your LinkedIn posts, you mentioned that uh, you received like a tons of uh, direct messages regarding like open roles at Cinder. So w w what challenges maybe and opportunities do you face in remote hiring and how do you handle lots of maybe applications while making sure that the hiring process is fair and open to everyone? Yeah. So in order to make sure that the hiring process is fair and open to everyone, one of the main things that I do is I have to figure out what are some main disqualifiers up front. Like what are some main things that really we cannot consider at this time? For a lot of organizations right now, we're realizing that it is quite expensive to provide visa support and many, many startups are not able to do that anymore. Or maybe they have to have a lot more um, income or even a legal team behind them to be able to do such a thing. So that's one of the main things that I'm able to ask on my, in just like upfront on the application is ask, you know, are you going to need this either now or in the future? That is a major, major thing that many people don't realize. Um, but organizations cannot just all of a sudden change their policies to be able to accommodate something they simply do not have the resources to accommodate. So that's the one thing. The second thing is we're currently hiring only in our hub cities in Sendio, right? So uh, we eliminate folks that are not currently in the locations where we are hiring, which also helps reduce that volume. The second thing is <laughs> I create templates for myself. So I have LinkedIn templates and responses for just about every single kind of situation so that I can basically copy and paste um, and try to get back to every single person because I understand what it's like to be on that other side of the silence from a recru recruiter when you're trying to reach out on LinkedIn. And I don't want people to lose hope because there is hope. Um, and there's always hope to be had. It's just a matter of don't give up, just keep trying, refine your strategy. And many people are giving up without doing any of those things. So um, that's kind of what, um, that's kind of where I, I think about um, 
people first, of course, mm-hmm. um, in, in also, you know, making, making, making decisions that are fair. We think about those disqualifier things like upfront. So if they're not in the location, they are, they require visa support. Maybe they don't have the skills that are required. So when it comes to engineering, um, sometimes we want them to have at least experience with one language, right? So I can ask that upfront. And if they say they don't have that experience, unfortunately, on top of that, there's also the fact that we hiring remote first is also huge, hugely difficult because a lot of people want to break into the industry without ever having done remote first work. And so testing for that is nuanced. It's more difficult. And many folks are still learning how to test for grit, self-discipline, and those um, important factors when hiring people on a remote basis to ensure that they're going to know that these people are self-driven and independent to get the work done. So then that's something that you start evaluating, though, through the selection process and making sure that they have all these different individual attributes and competencies to actually be successful in your work environment. Yeah, and do you use any any kind of uh, tools to help with this? Do, how how do you feel about using systems for to score applicants to score uh, applications? Uh, I personally don't score applications, um, but what I will do is I set up automations based on disqualifying factors. So if there is something that is a disqualification, I will automatically set up something to ensure that. I'm not wasting my time with this resume. Why? Because I need to ensure that my time is used wisely. I only have 40 hours a week. That is what my contract is at Cindio. That means I'm not putting anything above that 40 because I'm not paid for it. Right? So that means I have to be extremely careful with even how I spend my time. So yes, I use the ATS very, very um, wisely. Mm -hmm. I use Greenhouse in particular. I use mm-hmm. knockout questions. I love to have, um, even during my phone calls, like before I even have people on the phone with me, I want to make sure that they really are qualified. So even after those applications come in, I still review every single one that is qualified mm-hmm. to ensure that they do have that kind of background that we're looking for that will translate well into this environment. Like, do they have the relevant skills that will at least translate yeah. um, before I spend time um, on this? So it's, it's basically just kind of using... Uh, Getting all that information up front so that you know what you're what you're looking for. Calibrating very carefully with your hiring manager. Using a robust ATS that's going to be able to do a lot of automations for you to move faster. So, for example, I also have automations for like scheduling. So once I say, yeah, this candidate is great, I just advance them, and um, there's an automation that I've set up to send them automatically my Calendly link. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a lot of backend work that goes into all of that. We all 100%. know it takes some time to set up your Calendly and all the emails and all the follow ups. But once it's all set up all of this becomes a lot easier. All that candidate experience that becomes a lot easier. And a lot of people don't view recruiting the way you would view sales, but it's extremely important to view it that way because somebody that's a candidate could become a future employee at any Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. and also a future client at any Mm -hmm. time. So it's extremely careful to always keep things positive as much as possible all the way through the process. 100%. 100%. And for, for those global tech talent who, who are listening to us right now, what, what what advice would you give them in navigating these opportunities with, with global companies like Cinder? One of the main things is to really do your research. If the company is unable to provide you the support that you need, don't waste your time applying or spending any energy there. It's not worth it. Um, that's the main thing that I'm going to tell people. Spend time 
researching and going deeper into organizations that actually will be able to support you and your growth goals. So for example, if you are early on in your career, as much as you don't want to, a corporate role is likely your smartest bet because they have more resources to be able to support your growth and give you mentorship. Whereas if you are more advanced in your career, what you need to be able to do, you need to be able to um, be flexible, right? You need to be able to recognize that that you don't know everything. You are not an expert in your field. There is still way more to be learned and be humble about that um, and be able to go do that startup environment with that kind of thinking. Because what worked before is not going to work in a startup environment. But if you have valuable past experience that can translate, that's useful. Um, so it's finding organizations that really align with what your needs are um, and applying there. I would say that overwhelming recruiters with messages might not be the most successful tactic mm -hmm. because if you're anything like me and you've been bombarded with thousands of messages, there were times that I wanted to give up. I swear. There were times that I did not <laughs> want to respond to every single message, yeah. but I was like, no, this was the promise you made, you know, stick to it. Yeah. That's how hard it can be. So I would say candidates need to really kind of think about that before they just start reaching out to people, really do the work, target organizations that really do have what you need. And if not, do not waste your time, move on to the next one. There are other opportunities out there, but if you're wasting your energy on the wrong ones, you're not going to then spend energy preparing for the true opportunities that are laying ahead. That's true. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for sharing your insights and expertise with us today. Uh, it's, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, thank you so much for the invitation. And I, and I appreciate sharing my knowledge. If anyone wants to connect on LinkedIn, please feel free. Reach out. Would love to hear um, that you listen to me on Default Global. <laughs> <laughs> Take care.